a real family, which everyone deserves, and you deserve. We don't talk about our pasts. We don't have pasts. Our lives started when we met Charlie. You look like a Marcy May. Marcy was my grandmother's name. The imitation of Christ. <laughs> Solid silver. And downcast eyes. <laughs> Hiding what? Virtue or lecture? <laughs> Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No? Do your past failures in life bother you? No. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. And we're back. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. A little bit freaked out by the state of the world, as we were just talking about. Um, but doing okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Lockdown 2 happening on the 5th of November. Is that yeah. like a sign for like Guy Fox to come back? <laughs> yeah, and blow up Boris Johnson. <laughs> no one can blame oh, God. I can't believe we're back here again. It just seems like Groundhog Day. Yeah, I just hope all of our listeners out there are doing okay and uh, like doing little things to make themselves happy um, because it yeah. is it's a little challenging at the moment and it's getting darker. And uh, But it's also cosy and nice and lots of time to st- stay in and watch movies, which I hope you're all doing. Yes, definitely. Make sure you've got your like shutter subscription mm-hmm. and you know, get those nice spooky titles in while you can. And you know what? It's Scorpio season. That's something to celebrate. That's true. <laughs> Mary, how was your birthday? Thank you for asking. Yeah, really, really good. Paul and I drove through the new forest. Oh, so nice. so beautiful. Oh my god, it was it honestly felt enchanted down there. It's so beautiful. And we made our way right down to the coast at, I think it's called Leap, L-E-P-E. Mm-hmm. So nice. Oh, that's really nice. I'm glad you did something. That's really lovely. Thank you so much. It was really windswept on the day, but I had a great time. Good. And uh, your birthday's coming up, Sarah. It is going to be like smack bang in the middle of lockdown, but I had planned mm. on having a quiet year anyway. Um, so I am just going to be taking calls, messages, and PayPal donations from my bed. <laughs> okay, that's that's a good call. That's yeah. a good call. Fifteenth <laughs> of Amazing. November, send them in. Send them in. Yes, absolutely. Get those DMs in. <laughs> <laughs> um. So today we are like picking up where we left off with um episode two today on in our cults on film series. Mm-hmm. We're going to be looking at conspiracy as our sub theme and we've got two titles today obviously we're going to start with um the devils and then finish off with the endless and before we get started on that actually there was two questions i wanted to ask you sarah mm-hmm. 
the first is, because I remember in the first episode in this series, you asked me if I'd ever been recruited in a cult, and I forgot to ask you if you had. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Once someone did try and recruit me for something. Okay. Um, I worked in the Selfridges lingerie department with a bunch of really nice girls, and there was a girl there who was like a temp, and I would see her occasionally. And uh, she hadn't been in for a while, and one day she got back and... um. The first thing that was off about her was, um, you know, she was she came over and she was like, hi, hi, how are you? And I was like, hi, hi. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I've, I've completely forgotten your name. Uh-huh. And um, she she was like, oh, um, I know, you know, I, I remember yours, Sarah. And then she just carried on talking and she wouldn't tell me her name. <laughs> and so I, and I don't know what her name was, like, to this day, which I think oh. was a really strange conversational tactic of hers. Uh-huh. And then, um, you know, I kept seeing her because I worked there on weekends while I was studying. And she want, She was like, oh, I want to invite you to something. It's, um, it's this thing that I just think it would just be so good for you. And it would be like, I think you'll really enjoy it. And I was like, well, what is it? And she was like, I'm just, you know, it's just a thing that, um, that I go to and I just want to share it with you. And I was like, but what is it? And she was like, you know, it's just a thing. Like, I think you'll really enjoy it. So oh my God. I said yes. And then I think I ended up canceling like the day before just saying that I had too much like uni work to do or something like that but I really strongly believe that it was I I remember asking her again exactly what is it and she was like well it's just like a group that you know is like affiliated with my church and it's um Uh like it's um I can't remember exactly the word she used to describe it but I had very it was it very much sounded like a cult like some kind of like self-bettering course of some kind that I was going to be inducted into yeah wow yeah (laughs) Um, and I still don't know that girl's name. I've got her f- number in my phone is forgot name. Um, wow. Yeah, strange, strange stuff. Strange um, stuff but I did sure. almost go out of politeness. So <laughs> that's how easy it is to induct me into a cult. <laughs> well, this actually brings me to my next question, because I remember you said in the first episode that the Myers-Briggs cult would be the ideal cult for actually both of us because mm-hmm. we're introverts. But I forgot to ask you what your... Uh, result is in Myers-Briggs INFJ ah really yeah I'm the rare one the one percent you're the rare one yeah oh that's cool I'm INFP oh so close so close I know a lot of INFPs actually I think uh, my friend Nick is an INFP I'm I I think I'm friends with a lot of INFPs that's so cool I, I ended up even doing like an Enneagram do you know about those no Oh, the, that that's cool. That I, I'm gonna send you the link for this. Okay, it, this sounds like, like hours of fun. Oh my god, it is amazing. You can just do a free test online. It's called the Enneagram. It's like it's kind of like very similar to Myers Briggs, but it's way more like I don't know, comprehensive somehow. Um, and I did mine, and I it's you end up with numbers for your personality, and you have like dominant numbers and very weak numbers. And anyway, I'm what I'm gonna do actually. I'm gonna post my result up on our Instagram stories for the Enneagram. Okay. So if you're if you're following us on there, you'll know what I am. I'm gonna also maybe I'll um I'll share the link with you and maybe on Twitter because I think our followers would really enjoy doing the test. It is so much fun, and the end result is really cool. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so, the devils. <laughs> oh, um, my God. 
Um, Mary, do you have any insight into the concept of conspiracy before we start? Before we start, um, yes, a little bit. So basically, for me, psychoanalytically speaking, or even psychologically speaking, more broadly, um, conspiratorial thinking definitely falls into kind of a realm of, I don't want to say like full-on psychosis, because that's unfair. Probably a lot of us at various times in our lives might feel inclined to think that there's a conspiracy at work or there's something fishy going on or people are in cahoots or there's a plot or something like that. You know, that's not that it's not that uncommon to have like this spidey sense that something in the milking clean kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When it kind of blows out of proportion and it becomes almost like pathological and you start to see patterns that constantly confirm like a bias that you have or that you constantly feel like no one can be trusted or that there's something fishy going on and there's, you know, people are plotting behind your back and they may be even out to get you and you're unsafe. This obviously culminates more into a realm of the kind of psychotic profile of like maybe paranoid schizophrenia. The the main conspiracies out there are kind of like delusions Mm -hmm. um, that someone is intent on causing harm to you or that you're you feel like you're being persecuted there's something at work very much targeting you and that you're going to end up in trouble you somehow you're going to feel castrated in a sense that you're going to you're going to lose something oh. and you know what i mean like it, it, it oftentimes with conspiracy it it develops out of something that like a kind of weird tug of war between something that you have that this other person or group of people want to take away from you. Like, right. you know, so it feels very like castration, like that you feel like there's some kind of des- like love object or desired object that you possess. And it is in de- danger of being depleted, whether that's like your status or your good name or your good standing, or maybe your heart you know, you stand to lose your heart. That's so interesting, because it really, um, that kind of shines a light a lot on the sort of gendered dynamics of, uh, like, famous conspiracies. Um, uh, I'm thinking, like, Gamergate. Yeah. Um, you know, that idea that there is, like, a conspiracy of women using their sexual power to, um, like, change the face of the gaming industry and, and the culture yeah. of the gaming industry. Um, or the kind of or the one that's sort of going around at the moment which I think a lot more like which may be a lot more women are being sort of uh, drawn into is that um, that idea of like insanely high numbers of people of like children and young women are being trafficked the QAnon stuff this QAnon stuff which but the like yeah it's it's interesting like because it implies that idea of thinking about what someone has to lose or what someone fears losing and that castration anxiety is very interesting and sort of understanding how those things get you how those those conspiracies are are easy for certain people to believe yeah yeah absolutely and you're right about the gendered thing because especially when especially if the 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 person in question views women as almost like infantilized Mm -hmm. or uh or women as property you know um and even female sexual desire or female subjectivity and autonomy as like non-existent and just merely like the property of a man Mm -hmm. ultimately it's about 
uh, perceiving the world as almost, as you say, like very much like game theory, actually. So that's why Gamergate does play into it. Yeah. This idea that, um, you know, maybe there wasn't a time when gamers were exclusively thought of as men. So to, to suddenly have this kind of flood of women coming onto the scene and like being really active online and like playing games and, you know, rising up in the ranks of the gaming world or whatever. I mean, I'm not a gamer, so I can't, <laughs> I cannot like begin to describe what's going on in that world. But yeah, and then and having opinions and then not, and having, like, an having an opinion. opinion about whether something's entirely okay or not like whether portray you know I think a lot of it is about the you know female gamers have being critical of the game industry as it was at the time which was yeah. like yeah very kind of male driven and like had a quite a sexist viewpoint oh absolutely absolutely and and women um were rightfully expressing like their discontent mm-hmm. and wanting the culture to change because it affected them as well they were like very prolific gamers so they were right to kind of make a point against that and that whole gamergate thing was crazy mm-hmm. like I, I i wasn't really following it at the time but i later went and visited th- the actual events that happened and so it's it was amazing to me just to see like how that whole conspiracy did really arise from almost like a sex scandal yeah yeah and and how like it just kind of confirms the eroticized nature of these discourses how it always comes back to um that thing that you love you know that part of you that animates you and you fear that someone's going to come and take it away from you so you have to develop like frankly a psychotic discourse and narrative of people plotting and people having you in their sights and coming after you to take away what you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. It's a, it's a fascinating mental state, isn't it? Because it's like, it's a very particular type of psychosis. Um, it's not so much about like, I mean, it is in a sense like auditory and, and um, visual hallucinations of perceiving things that are not there. It's just that, this time it's not a, an actual hallucination like a sensory hallucination it's a delusion of the way that the world is structured mm-hmm. like it's seeing things that are not there in the discourse it's a yeah it's an interesting time to be discussing this i know because it does i mean maybe i'm you know maybe i'm wrong but it seems like there is like a huge rise in conspiratorial thinking in yeah. recent years yeah, definitely. I mean, it doesn't help when we have actual, like, real life cases of people like Jeffrey Epstein, for example, and his yeah. network of, you know, child traffickers. Like, that is a true thing. That is actually something that can be tr- proven. And there's, you can actually follow the evidence of that. Um, but then even within that, the entire groups of people come together and say, well, you know, it's maybe the shadow government or the FBI or the CIA. Like they're kind of filling in the gaps with what they don't know with very outlandish theories to explain what could be actually be a very simple thing that happened. Yeah, I think it is a very simple thing. I think there are no gaps. I think even conspiracy, like the idea itself is is a totally made up thing. I think all of these things that have happened can be explained by, you know, psychological forces yeah um 
and people are getting frightened by the wrong things. Yeah. You know, it's frightening on its own without the FBI. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's like a it's like a you know a structural thing where you have these like really powerless women and these really rich people and these other people with a vested interest in staying yeah. rich who you know keep secrets because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like a highly organized thing. I was watching um, the second Unfriended, the dark web one. Oh yeah. Um, the other day, which I've watched like three times, I find it some kind of comfort watch or something. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about people that you know that are frightened of the the dark web and and the idea of people you know being tortured and trafficked yeah. and and that kind of thing. And then I was thinking about like my grandmother's recent experience uh, with a like a phone scammer. Yeah. And I was like, I was thinking, you know, that's that's a psychopath. Like, mm-hmm. that's like a banal, that's like banal fucking psychopathic evil, you know? Like, mm. to, you know, to spend your whole life, like, for, you know, scaring old ladies on the phone and getting money out of them. Yeah. That's, you know, that's absolutely terrible. But we don't, like, make horror movies about it. Um, and that's happening yeah. on a much more regular, like, you know, people aren't like trading millions of pounds to go through the very complicated and difficult process of abducting children from their rooms. You yeah. know, they're like, people can harm each other really badly, like from a distance. Oh, yeah. And not in this, like, I don't know, I just think it's, we're getting so frightened of of things that are not actually real. And we're not frightened enough of well, not that we should be frightened of those things, but just th- I think we have like much more banal, you know, experiences with evil and with oh, yeah. bad intentions, and we don't take them seriously, and we don't like stop to kind of consider what what is causing them, um, and instead we just get you know wow. people just get all kind of head up about these full these like fake things that are for some reason are easier for them to wrap their brains around. Actually, what you've just said nails this kind of thing that I've been thinking about for a while. I couldn't quite articulate it the way you just did now, but it's the refusal to actually confront the real harm that is being done in very, as you say, banal ways. Mm -hmm. And because that seems objectively too plausible that you might experience it because it's you, you've, you've, conf- you've actually borne witness to it, let's say happening to someone else, or you've heard it being reported on the news or whatever it may be. So rather than just confront that, let's say, crime or that wrongdoing, people feel compelled to dress up the motivations and place it inside a kind of insane network of other crimes imagined. Yes, and the re- and that somehow is a comforting thing because it's kind of like it's almost like they're kind of myth building they're like they're like um it, it it's comforting to tell themselves and each other these stories about even more outlandish things that are frankly just like nonsense because that way that's just a distraction from the very e- real but banal evil that's being committed right now yeah i uh, i think that's I think, and that's actually really reflected in the devils. I think, yeah, um, which we should get back to because we've gone on quite a quite a rant. Sorry, I, I love that. I but I love how you described it. I think it really resolved a lot of things for me. Yeah, I think that is what happens. I think people can't. People think trauma is not good enough. Wow, have you noticed that? Like, there's like, <gasps> yeah. I've I've really noticed that throughout 
people you know like just there's this idea that you're like to be noticed the bad thing that happens to you has to be like sanctified by law and the media um rather than us all kind of talking about the ways in which we've like all kind of committed structural harm to each other really badly um and uh you know so it's you can see it in the way that you know people are getting you know people are getting super worked up about like the you know children being trafficked in wayfair cabinets oh yeah (laughs) and not in like the you know the terrible inequality that has led to like a higher percentage of deaths in like the BAME communities like you know um I don't know and and austerity causing child poverty yeah child poverty and actually you know and actually like child abuse is is caused by is caused by a lot of those things by like you know it's like a long line of trauma and violence and like poverty is a factor actually um you know addiction's a factor and that and poverty is a factor in that like you know it's uh it's all oh it's also yeah it's complicated I love what you said that people don't want to accept that trauma is enough. Like it's yeah. it they they don't want to kind of like take responsibility for the causes of trauma. So rather than really have an honest um confrontation with that, they feel more compelled to narrativize these outrageous stories that are not rooted in in facts they're 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 just more interesting and like distracting they people want actual magic in their crimes like you can see that in the way that um america has this obsession with like satanism um you know and uh, i was listening to a really like unpleasant true crime podcast about some people and uh, you know the the podcast was like you know they were satanic they were a sa- he was a satanic murderer and he led a satanic group and I was like no he's a fucking sadist he did these horrible things to women yeah like but there's no evidence of satan involved like you don't have to put no. actual magical creatures in to make the crime really you know unpalatable and disgusting um but somehow but like they love to do that they, they I mean we've had we've had a satanic panic here in this country as well so yeah it's not just Americans but um yeah. Anyway, but I, I, I was, I, you know, I was very much reminded of all of these things watching, watching the devils. Oh God. Okay, that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that people need to add that layer of magic. Yeah, and um, even like even Epstein, you know, the way that we talk about, you know, his special planes and iron. Oh, yeah. There's an element of magic there, like you know, sort of yeah. extreme wealth that can you know have so you can have an actual vehicle for transporting the like children that you're abusing mm-hmm. um, i think that it's the same thing it's the same thing as the satanism um like we're really interested in those details but you know the actual like banality of it is is that they like abuse these like young women in the same way every single time it's like actually deeply unimaginative yeah. like jesus like even when you're watching that documentary and the, the whole massage thing it's like really like, that was what you found deeply erotic like I know. thousands and thousands of times like you didn't want any variation massages <laughs> that's super 90s um you know not to you know not to say that those crimes weren't horrific but i i was surprised no. by the boringness of them yeah again the banality is very banal Wow. Very, vanilla, very vanilla and pedestrian actually like for what we yeah. consider this like exotic terrible perverted crime is yeah. actually like, no more perverted than like 
it's not it's not perverted at all it's just violent and yeah it's like it's it's violent it's about power but it's not like this you know ex exotic erotic you no know, like ritual it's just, it's not it's not the pizza gate conspiracy about not. like <laughs> it's just this boring dude and his like his yeah. boring obsession with young women yeah like um anyway wow mm-hmm. Okay, I feel like we've theoretically set this up so well. We really have. We have to talk about the films. That's why people are here. I'm going to to synopsize to get us started. Okay, perfect. Um, So, The Devils, 1971. Um, A controversial telling of true events by Ken Russell, The Devils is set in in the 17th century France amongst the political unrests of Protestant uprisings and their brutal quelling by the ruling Catholics. Uh, Bane Grandier, a priest who has assumed control of the city of Loudan, is a notorious philanderer and has acquired many enemies as a result. Unbeknownst to him, he has also provoked the lust of the mother superior of the local Ursuline convent, Sister Jeanne, who begins to experience sexual visions of him. On hearing of his secret marriage, Sister Jeanne claims to have been possessed by Father Grandier. Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Sister Jeanne des Anges. Yes, Jeanne des Anges. Um, I don't think it's known what her um, previous name was uh, because nuns choose their names, obviously. That's right. That's um, right. So, yeah, she's quite a mysterious figure. Um, yeah. Um, so, this is like a very sensationalist retelling <laughs> of The Devils of Blue Dam, which is like the fictionalization of the true events by Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, Mary, what do you think of this film? <laughs> oh my god! Well, first of all, when I, I didn't know that it was um, kind of like partly adapted from the Huxley book, because mm-hmm. I know there was also a, a partial kind of inspiration from the play mm-hmm. "The Devils" by John uh, Whiting, which was also based on Huxley's book. I'm a big fan of Aldous Huxley. Um, uh, he wrote the doors, the doors of perception. That the door, you know, the band, the doors got their name from that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I really like this kind of um, psychedelic, kind of weird, trippy element of Huxley, um, and I, it made perfect sense that he must have had an interest. You know, he did have an interest in this story because this this whole thing is this film is just so chaotic it has so much chaotic energy that just does not get resolved no and that's um, why we put it first because we didn't want to leave you with that chaotic energy in such a chaotic <laughs> week exactly um, we didn't want to do that to you uh, well actually um, this episode is going to be released on the day after the election isn't it oh my god <laughs> yeah it is it is and it's going to be true chaos so like while this part of the episode is chaotic we promise that we deliberately planned a resolution so keep (laughs) listening don't worry it's all going to be don't worry we got you covered Mm -hmm, we do um yeah exactly like it's just a pure kind of like weird um almost like a fever dream this whole thing feels like um I saw it I saw this film a while ago um and I just didn't I felt like when I first watched it it was really like a cinematic primal scene I felt like I'd opened the door Mm -hmm. to this like insane uh violent orgy and then I quickly shut it behind me and I was like I didn't see anything I didn't see anything (laughs) like I just like ran away um but then I kind of revisited a couple of times 
Um, I really like Ken Russell, the director. He, I feel like he's quite like a trailblazer in, in, in film. Mm-hmm. Um, really like a national treasure, I feel, in the UK. He, uh, he should be thought of that way. Of course, he passed away. But actually, the, do you remember when Ken Russell went on Celebrity Big Brother? Vaguely. I don't, I didn't, I don't think I watched it, but I remember it happening. Because he was he was in that series with the whole like Jade Goody returning and Shilpa Shetty. Oh, he went out quite fast, didn't he? He was the first one to get evicted. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I feel like that's the true crime of that series. Like, <laughs> oh my god, like what the hell? You've got literally a cinema legend in this house. Oh, and by the way, uh, Ken Russell was a cancer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is kind of like, wow, um, still waters really run deep. <laughs> they, do. they really do. Yeah. Um, so when I first watched this film, I, I it, it, it kind of threw me for a loop. And then I had to revisit it. I realized with the kind of rewatches that there's a lot of quite convoluted plot lines in this film. And there's kind of like a big, um, almost like a sociopolitical intrigue in it mm-hmm. with the various kind of factions of like the government and the monarchy and this and the church and different factions of the church kind of warring it out but the thing that really felt um appropriate for this film to be included in our series on cults is probably like that essential relationship between um grandier and jean des anges mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. tell, t- tell me, tell me what you think of this film because I know that you know more about it, about like the backstory. Yeah, I do. I think I, I don't, I don't actually get along well with this film. I might mm. have just watched it in a really chaotic time because it's the first time I actually watched it all the way through. Usually, I stop it and can't be bothered to go on with it. I just think mm. it's like it's very, it's quite ridiculous and it's a bit much for me. Mm. Um, I find it, I find it an interesting story, but I think that they do for Grandier what you didn't like in Assassination Nation, okay. where they, like, you know, they start, he starts off as, like, a rightfully complex character and then ends up as this martyr. Yeah. Um, and they have this, like, storyline of him falling in love and getting married to this, yeah. like, good woman, which didn't happen. Um, and um, I don't, yeah, they kind of take, they take this, what he was in the beginning of the film and they make him you know he has this sort of vision about trying to be a better person and so it's like this really real tragedy that what happens to him happens to him but he was he was what he was like he was he did get someone pregnant um and it wasn't an enemy's daughter it was a friend's daughter that he'd known since she was a child and um, she was young she was a teenager and I know that was normalized in that time but you know he wasn't it, even if you don't even if you don't subscribe to feminism at, you know yeah. in, even now or and no one did in the 17th century it doesn't yeah. just ruin a woman's life it ruins the entire family yeah um so he's a person that would have that ruined his friend's family um in order to like he mm. you know he has no like control over his desires he was this very very rich very very powerful guy um wow. and um but sh- I also think that the character of um sister Jeanne is is uh she I think she's a lot more interesting than the film makes her yeah um and she did have that you know that spinal 
injury that gave her a hunchback, which she got very young. And what she does say in the film about... Scoliosis. It wasn't scoliosis. She had an accident. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, um, and that's and that was like the the result of it. Um, and so, and it is true what she says that convents were full of women that whose families couldn't marry them off. Um, mm. So it wasn't necessarily this really devout place. Um, what else do I know about her? She became Mother Superior when she was twenty two. So wow. and she's she was like I think that she she was actually really ambitious and I think she maybe had like more of an idea of what she was doing than the film kind of portrays. Um, I don't think she was like mad. I think she was just maybe a bit angry mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because she'd had like rightfully, cause she's had a really terrible time. And then also the, you know, the average, like the, the nuns are really, were really young. They were all like teenagers and early twenties and they had a bunch of students. They were like a boarding school so it's actually like the average age is really young. You've got like a load of really young women like running around with no supervision. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and the other thing I know about her is that after, although, you know, he was actually burned as a witch, which happens in the end of the film, um, it didn't ruin her career at all. And actually a, a sort of cult formed around her um, okay. in the years after what had happened. And she was viewed as like kind of a mystic. Wow. So her story doesn't end at all at the end of that, uh, in the the end of the devils. Like oh she went on to, like she went on to have like a very profitable career and, um, and wrote an autobiography, um, about what happened and said that wow. she blamed. She said that she viewed it as a real possession, but she viewed it as her fault and her weakness. Um, oh so that she, you know, her, it's her, the fault kind of lay with her and her disposition. Um, as opposed to with him, so um, so yeah, she. It's all. It's really. It's a really interesting story. Um, and it is an interesting story because actually the film doesn't be- even begin to kind of uncover her true experience. Like it's just, the women's true yeah. experience, really. You know, they're all kind of viewed as they're all. I f- I feel like they're portrayed as like simple, like mm. almost like to the point of mental deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I think that like the way that they they you know portray them all like playing around is probably is a bit what it, like what it was like because they were kids a lot of them. Yeah. Um, not the nuns, but the the boarding school students were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that you know, like I think the idea, I think Ken Russell's idea that it's all about sexual repression, I just think is a little bit. Um, reductive of yeah. what, you know what is actually in a person um and all of the varying like ambitions and dreams that they have you know in their life absolutely um i think that you know i think that what we know about hysteria now is it's a reaction to trauma yeah and i think you know it's very traumatic to be told that you know you don't really have um you don't really have the right to a life because you're unmarriageable yeah um, and I think that's a lot of what a lot of those girls had, really. Um, and I think that's where the kind of chaos ensues, because I think it's a lot of people that like were really a lot of people with a huge amount of privilege and freedom versus people who just really didn't have any weren't given any. Yeah, didn't really have lives. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's why for me, it it makes sense that the hysteria or the kind of manifestation of those symptoms at the time 
appeared to be possessions. Mm-hmm. That that uh, signifier is so important for me because right in that word we have the idea of possessing the thing that probably no one wants you to possess. You know what I mean? Like it's it's um, it's capturing the essence of some darker part of yourself or some darker part of like the spirit world. But I think that's all a stand in for possessing the thing that a person in authority wishes they had. They feel they've been castrated. So it then becomes a conspiracy that, oh my God, look at these witches or look at these, you know, people who've been possessed. You know, Mm. we need to exercise them. We need to rid them of this terrible uh, spiritual crisis. And that's the real conspiracy. It's always, to me, I just read this film almost as just like a blueprint of uh, political uh, skullduggery mm-hmm. with, very, with various people, jo- you know, kind of like jostling for power and jockeying for power positions, trying to kind of like eliminate their adversary and gain power. Yeah. And, it's all about like you know who feels like they've been mistreated or they, they sort of hard done by someone else and it, it's all very it feels like everyone's kind of plotting away and manipulating and it's it feels very machiavellian actually it is very machiavellian and i think that you know like the actual story was you know it was incredibly political but i think yeah. you're right to separate the stories because i think there are two things happening here and one is this like outside thing of political skullduggery. Mm. But one is the, mm, I am interested in what went on between those, you know, between this, this, this poor man really and these women he's never met. <laughs> but something did happen between them nonetheless. Yes. Um, which is that, you know, these like, these very confined, powerless women heard about what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like as much as they hadn't met each other, that he still his actions still had a, a huge impact on them, mm-hmm. like and did cause they it, they mm-hmm. did did like cause this snap in reality for yeah. these women, like as much whether he intended to or not, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's that there is there's an interesting there's a truth in the in the possession, even if it wasn't a real possession. Yes. Still definitely they were definitely reacting to something. Um, oh, definitely. He would have for sure like he probably was just like a mascot for whatever their unconscious trauma was that mm-hmm. was lingering. And he it was very easy to kind of like identify him as a source of the whatever pain or like suffering they were they were experiencing at the time. Yeah. And so he just became a convenient scapegoat, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think he definitely did. Um, Yeah. And I think there is... I do find that interesting that you said possession. Like, I'd never actually thought about that, but that idea Mm. of um, lack and possession, like, they're actually, like, opposite words, aren't they? Yeah. Um, And, uh, (laughs) yeah, it does make me think about, um, you know, all the people now that are clamoring to you know believe conspiracy theories like is there some kind of giant lack in the world at the moment like what Mm. are these people missing Um, okay so 
that's a good point. And I would say that the lack has always been there since the dawn of time. Mm. It's just that in our kind of, especially in Western countries, I would say we feel that lack more now than ever. And we feel like something's gone awry. Like, you know, the the whole world's gone mad. Like we keep hearing that. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happening there is that for, for, for decades, you know, um, we've been sold the dream of like the neoliberal consensus that like if you work hard and you know you get your ducks in a row that you know you'll have a happy life and you'll be guaranteed like security and prosperity suddenly like we're at a stage in the economic kind of landscape where those promises are not being met and the advent of a global pandemic actually exposes the failings of neo, of the neoliberal model. Mm-hmm. So what's really happening now is that we're actually being confronted with the lack that was always there, but it had been covered up by like consumerism and other things that we did to kind of like reassure ourselves. Suddenly we're like confronted with the thing that had always been there. And it's too much like we feel like we have to produce signifiers to cover it up Mm -hmm. we have we have to produce something some form of meaning and that's why conspiracy theories just kind of naturally are born in a time like this because the conspiracy uh discourse is one that is kind of like desperately like feverishly rampantly trying to fill that gap that like that discursive linguistic chasm with why this is happening with more words with more like explanations and like desperate attempts to make sense of this madness Mm -hmm. and again it's that same thing that the trauma is not enough like it's not it's not enough that like what's happening is causing us pain there has to be something else there has to be something else yeah that's really um that's really apparent in the you know this scene this very bizarre scene where you've got you know all of these people that wish father grandier ill and they're you know, they're all comparing their grievances against him and everything they've got. You know, he got married in secret. He gets my, he got my daughter pregnant and she's like there naked. And it's, it's kind of amazing. She's like such a strange character because she's like, she's like, a, and I think maybe it is a reference to the fact that she was really young in real life. Yeah. She's like total like id machine. Like she's, and none of her, like none of her actions uh, make any sense. No. She's just totally balmy. Um, but, you know, they're saying, you know, they, they're like saying all of this stuff and they're like, it's not enough. It's not enough. You can't prove it. You can't. Mm-hmm. But it, and 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 for some, and those things are it reminded me a lot of therapy, you know, like mm-hmm. he was in this position, you know, like I think priests were like therapists. You know, they listen to your confessions. Yeah. They're supposed to like bestow a certain amount of peace. Um and the guy, you know, he didn't deserve to be burned at the stake, but he was completely unsuitable to be in a position of power like that. Mm-hmm. But like this, by this strange, perverted system in which, you know, like women aren't important and like people's feelings and mental health and uh, like aren't important in the same, which, you know, we, we've spoken about in neoliberalism isn't is the same. You mm-hmm. know, these things aren't important. So these crimes aren't crimes yeah um yeah. so we have to invent this totally like crime of total like magical thinking <laughs> in order to in order to really believe that this guy is not you know wow. in, in order to really 
prove that this guy shouldn't be in a position of authority. Um, and it's not enough to just take him out of a position of authority. We need to burn him, which is wow. the other thing that happens. You know, it's you overkill. Yeah, you can't just be like, you can't just say, hey, this person's not good at their job. <laughs> like they should be doing something else. They have to be like cancelled and destroyed. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, it's like, I know I'm like mixing so many metaphors here, but I do. No, no, it, 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 it's, all, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all kind of emblematic of this like conspiratorial thinking is a really bad idea because you don't need a conspiracy you've got enough like crimes or if they're not crimes then they're just you know examples of why this person is not doing a good job or this person should not be in the position that they're in exactly or this person is not you know it's just not suitable for this you know to be in the company that he's in Um, the the conspiracy model is soothing because it actually gives a platform for the compulsion to overkill yes which in other discourses would not be permittable yes overkill that is exactly what they do to him and they did do that in real life by the way they um wow they um he was supposed to be hanged um someone it wasn't that someone took the noose away someone tied a knot in the noose so it didn't work oh my god Um, and then when um people were throwing holy water at him but it was so that the flames would kill him and the smoke wouldn't so that he wouldn't be suffocated so he really did die that horrible horrible death um and deliberately like yeah um it's really it's dark it's a really terrible thing and it really was like that people had a party around his like burning (laughs) body um wow it all happened in the way like it it really was that chaotic i just think the characterization is a little bit off um yeah i think really were yeah, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, the story can be told in this kind of sens- sensationalist way where we kind of focus on or we maybe kind of over amplify the question of repression. But I think that's not enough. I think that's quite hollow. Mm. I think you're right. I think there is the kind of more elevated um, perspective on this, which is the compulsion to feel like you're kind of connected also with other people. It's kind of like a communal um, gathering of others who who all are actually quite marginalized people, mm-hmm. but they're united in this thing that they believe, which is complete mad kind of like conspiracies, you know, um, kind of myth building and like really amplifying crimes and wrongdoings to a level that are so that is so exaggerated that somehow brings comfort and a kind of community mm. which is what these online conspiracy communities are as well yeah they are communities they really are like i mean i just recently uh watched um you know that storyville documentary on pepe the frog oh no it sounds interesting yeah it's on the i it's on bbc iplayer it is so interesting for anyone out there who has even like a passing interest in internet meme culture definitely watch this especially in the run-up to the u.s election because ultimately the the pepe cartoon was initially just a very benign character in like some indie indie comic mm-hmm. and it kind of just got appropriated online and it literally just fitted whatever online group wanted it to be it was just a malleable image that could just be redrawn and repurposed 
to capture the anxieties and frustrations of like marginalized people. I have and, heard a podcast on it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Story. It's a very interesting story. And ultimately it just became a symbol of the alt-right, but really it was just kind of like a manipulated image um, that, that grew out of conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, the, but it became a kind of mascot for the people who felt, who felt dispossessed. It's interesting even just the word dispossessed, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. You know, compared to like being possessed and compared to like just kind of factoring it into that discourse of the haves and the have-nots, lack and um, possession. It's also very interesting because there was, again, a, like a gendered, um, like a belie- the the beliefs around possession were, that men couldn't really be possessed. Yes, that's right. Um, uh, and even still in, in contemporary culture, like you don't see a lot of like possession films featuring men. And um, no. and I think, and there are still ex- exorcisms and like people still believe in possessions in, in like all over the world. Um, and it's often, it's usually women. Um, yes. And uh, that's so interesting in, you know that there there were these you know the the story where there were these nuns and they were being possessed and that so they were they you know their like vile obscene behavior was as a result of possession but that it that this man like couldn't possibly have also been possessed because yes. he already and and you know and it was it's partly a physical thing I think that like mm-hmm. I think that fact you know just the very fact that we're Anat- anatomical yeah. yeah and you know things go into them as opposed to going you know that uh-huh. the, there is that whole thing but I think as well you know women are considered like soft and like malleable in a way that men are not yeah and, and also he was he was a rich I can't exaggerate but like he was a rich and powerful person yeah um so it, it just wouldn't it wouldn't have been thinkable that he could have been weak enough to wow. be possessed so it is interesting that you know the people that are possessed are the people that um like literally it's not legal for them to have possessions really yeah, they're, de- they're deprived yeah they're deprived of land and property mm-hmm. and their own autonomy and subjectivity as well yeah i mean it is literal like just kind of living these austere poor lives and the discursive position that every character in the story plays and the the kind of reliance on supernatural or the paranormal to kind of actually tell the story of subjective suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting film. Um, interesting story, like will forever be interesting to us. I think. Oh, definitely. And I want to actually do more research on the original story because it does sound fascinating. I'll send you the podcast I listen to. There's one I listen to called Deviant Women, which is very oh, interesting. Great. To, um, they sound like they might be PhD researchers or something. Really interesting. Uh-huh. I think it's they're Australian. Um, and there was an episode that was it was about the, the entire possessions, but it did focus a lot on her. And that's where I found out a lot of my information about her. Um, oh, and yeah how her story kind of continued afterwards and I think that's a really yeah it's a really it's really it really interests me it, it does and it, it interests me as well that you know like the the devils as you know the devils the film is obviously it's got that like you know the the architecture the set design all of that all of that stuff is like is very much Ken Russell's own creation but I think yeah. the you know the idea of these women who like very knowingly fed into this like political conspiracy um and this man that was a victim of that 
um, that comes from the Devils of Ludan. That's Huxley's wow. idea. Um, and I don't, you know, I think it's interesting that like these, that I think both of these men, Ken Russell and Huxley, were maybe a little bit affected with castration anxiety. Yeah, and they told the story because <laughs> it's not that's not all it is. No. You know? um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I think um, yeah, there is definitely more to it than those. I think they're you know they're right in their telling of it to a certain extent, but there are uh-huh. there are multiple stories here. And the, but actually, what you just said makes me think that maybe Huxley and Russell, in telling the, like in in deciding to focus on what they did in this in this story and and putting out their narrative on it, um, in a way that's their conspiracy, mm-hmm. you know, it is. to kind of to kind of cover up uh the the reality of the trauma not being enough uh they've kind of decided to embellish or kind of exaggerate a certain aspect and completely ignore something else there's the unsaid yeah (laughs) there is and I think even um you know there's a couple of scenes of them like syringing hot water into the nun's vaginas oh my god yeah um I think it was it it wasn't that they weren't tortured. Um, mm. I think they were enemas. Um, wow. And so I think that's an interesting deviation. Um, like that, that these women were like vaginally assaulted, which they weren't. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting invention of Ken Russell's that he would, uh, <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing that he would put in there. Yeah. Um, when that's, that's not quite what happened. And it's like the symbolism changes, I think, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they were, they were, mm. they was, you know, it was terrible, <laughs> terrible tortures that were inflicted upon both, you know, both these people, Sister Jeanne and uh, Grandier. Um, yeah. But it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite what they show happening in the film. Um, ah, I think maybe uh, Maestro Russell was telling on himself there a little bit. Yeah, and the, you know, it's not the only um, film that he has where he has someone, he has like a, a, a vaginal threat. Yeah. Also, the the dildo in um, uh, Crimes of Passion. That's right. So yeah, I think uh, it says more about Ken Russell than it does about history there. Yeah, um, definitely. Because what they weren't, it wasn't that they were like trying to put something in them. It's that they were trying to get something out of them. So it was enemas, not nothing, not not douching. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, probably like, just as painful and uncomfortable, but a bit more logical to a certain extent. Yeah, and actually the significance changes. Yeah, it really does. Said. Oh my god, that is eye-opening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of difficult to kind of come to a place in talking about this movie where we kind of can wrap a bow around it. Like, you just can't. No. It's just this kind of like, uh, yeah, just this open wound of of a film in the sense that it doesn't, it doesn't seem to really reflect on itself. It's just this kind of like parade of of de- depravity. Yeah, it is, and there's no, you know, as as much as there's historical context with the, you know, the Protestants and the Catholics, that it does yeah. tell, say that you know this was going on all over the place. This yeah. wasn't an isolated incident, and I think that's something that's maybe also quite important to include in in the retelling of this. That you know, this had happened at a different convent a few years earlier. Um, with not quite such dramatic consequences, um, but it was the same nuns and a priest. Uh, it was the same accusations. Yes. Um, 
and yeah and there were possessions there were possessions happening all over France and all over the world um it was like yeah. I think Loudon is the first time I'm not, I might be wrong about this but I think it's the first time that possessions and witchcraft were kind of tied together mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. then became like a model for how um how witchcraft accusations manifested yeah after that but this is the first time that you know the two things were joined beforehand they weren't so much sure so, sure yeah it's fascinating it's really interesting but yeah like it you say is. it is a gaping hole of a film because it oh yeah no resolution <laughs> at all however not the case with the endless not the case with the endless um we kind of go on a journey with that film where we think it's it is pure chaos but actually once you kind of like once you sort of see a pattern everything clicks into place it does so the endless 2017 um two brothers controlling justin and passive and trusting aaron have been unable to find jobs or make new friends since leaving a cult or commune 10 years ago Receiving a video in the mail that proves the members of the camp are still alive, Aaron convinces Justin to return to visit their old friends for one day. On returning, they find the camp is different than either one of them remembered. Yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead and also starring yeah. the two of them, written by Justin Benson. So it's a real kind of... Um, like they're very much... Ha- everyone's like hands on deck with this. Like they're very involved in every aspect of this uh, film. Did you see their other film in um, the festival last year? I didn't. It was really good. It was really good. Um, I don't Synchronic. Know, yeah, I don't know when it's coming out. It's been over a year. I've been looking for it. Like, I'm awaiting its release because it did look very good. I've seen Spring, their first film. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I haven't. I actually have only seen this and Synchronic, and those are the only two films I've seen. Because I know that this film kind of crosses over with yeah with some of their other films their previous work yeah Yeah, that's right um which is I think like very interesting actually that the fact that it kind of reaches back into the past for them as real people and kind of integrate something from the past in this current story um just to kind of like get it out of the way uh (laughs) they are Gemini and Sagittarius so we have a couple of um very worldly uh, air and fire signs. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you think of this one when you first saw it? I really liked it, but I saw it after Synchronic. Oh, okay. So I was a bit used to their work, and um, I yeah, I really loved it. I I thought it. I I think it's a really good story. I think the second time I saw it, I liked it more than the first time. Yeah, same. The first time I thought it, I was I was like, this is a bit confusing. The, but the second time, it all kind of fell into place a lot more. That's right. Um, obviously, I'm watching it with the conspiracy in mind. That was that yeah. was like an interesting way to watch it. Um, because, you know, spoilers. So what the disagreement between them is that Justin feels that it was a UFO death cult. Yeah. And that Aaron remembers it as just simply a community of nice right. people. Um, mm. And... Um, what it turns out to be is neither of those things yeah um, what it turns out to be is um is a community of people trapped in um a time warp of 10 years so every yeah. 10 years they have a violent end and then they're reborn again in the same at the same age so they just yeah. live this 10 years over and over again 
Um, they're in loops. They're in loops. And that's, you know, and that, that's what they couldn't, you know, the two of them couldn't understand because they, they came to this cult as children when their mother died in a car crash and yeah. they were discovered and um, left it as sort of teenagers, it seems like, old, older teenagers. Um, and they didn't stay the full 10 years and this didn't happen to them. That's why they were able to come and go. Um, that's right. So, yeah. Uh, so that's like quite a lot to think about in terms of conspiracies because yeah. you have you know, these two people that like, they have this very, these very different memories. And in a way it kind of becomes apparent that Justin's created a conspiracy all of his own. Yeah. Um, where he's accused them of, you know, he's, he's made up these, interestingly, a rumor about them being castrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Um, and then, you know, it does turn out that there is, there is a, a, you know, a story behind this group and they're not as they seem, but it, actually it turns out that that you know that their reason for being there is totally out of their control yeah um so it's a whole different it's a whole different it actually is magical it um, well they kind of don't have a choice yeah. they're they're very much like prisoners of this time loop mm-hmm. so they've kind of in a way they've just accepted that they're in this circular experience and that it's all going to reoccur yes and they've kind of made peace with that, and that's why they seem so content. Yes. Whereas I think that with Justin and Aaron having very different motivations and like perception on the whole thing, they're not at peace. Like they're conflicted because when they left the cult, um, they try to like live in the outside world, um, but it becomes clear that they they went through a lot of like economic hardships. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not like they're just not very leading very comfortable lives on the outside. Uh, they're struggling financially and it's, it's, it, it sort of proves to be a bigger, maybe a bigger struggle than either of them had really anticipated. So sometimes it feels like you have like this set of brothers and one is very, very resentful for, to the other one for having got them out of the cult. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like this, um, feeling be, begrudging the person who like took you out and saying you know we we could have just been happy here you know why wasn't this not enough for you yeah um why did you force us to try and make it independently out there and that's scary unknown um and at least here there's familiarity like we know we we, we can find our footing and we can just like make a, a, a role for ourselves and the other one is like intent on like not repeating the past mm-hmm. and really kind of trying just kind of strike it out like out there and and he's the brother who's the most kind of controlling yeah yeah he's sort of like the parent almost he is isn't he yeah um they're really sweet the two of them they really are um, and it's really sad like what's happened to them um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I just think it's really interesting that they've both they they're both wrong. <laughs> I suppose that you know that they're that you know one of them has this you know this conspiracy theory about his brother that his brother uh-huh. is you know controlling and ruining his life. Yeah, and the other one has this conspiracy theory about the place that they left, which is that it's yeah. like a UFO death cult that castrates its members. Um, and it, but you see, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, can, no, yeah. carry on. No, say what you're going to say because I, I, yeah, I'm interested. 
Because I think that kind of that's the sort of like manifest um, layer of the story. But actually, I only realized this the second time I watched it when I was prepping for this episode. It just suddenly occurred to me that the real conspiracy here is the way that the past functions in the sense that the way that the past conspires to keep you stuck forever, like covering the same old infuriating ground until, um, you know, you finally confront the terror of it Mm. and then you can kind of work through it and really kind of uh, fight tooth and nail to stop this repeating ad infinitum and then you can finally then you can finally be free of this the real cult is not this uh group of people out in the desert or wherever they are the real cult that keeps people a prisoner in their kind of mental state is the repetition of of the past that you never truly resolved that's why the devils feel so chaotic because we're just in that unresolved energy the entire time Mm. whereas the endless like weird uncanny situations keep repeating and we're kind it's it's this it is like it really does feel like a dream like you're con it's like a recurring dream this whole movie feels just like a recurring dream yeah and every time loop is kind of custom made it's 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 tailor-made for that individual's preoccupations and their own trauma or whatever is being like um, unprocessed from their past mm-hmm. it's like very 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 idiosyncratic it's very unique to the individual that's why you also have these like recurring characters who are in um whatever in the cottage one of them is a drug addict yes and they're from a different film right they're from a different film yeah. so it's like the, these two directors have very cleverly like integrated this <laughs> ongoing crisis from a different film into this one they've kind of because it's a perfect it's a perfect landscape to integrate this past narrative this like weird place where you just get stuck in a loop it's this endless loop where and and that that is how trauma feels you know um for anyone who's who's ever kind of like had to deal with like post-traumatic post-traumatic stress um the way that like flashbacks happen that, you know, you're, you think you're having a normal day and then suddenly you're inundated with like images that splice your present, your here and now. Mm. And th- that invasive force of the past really kind of making itself known again and it's inescapable and you're back there. You're li- you feel like you are back there. The danger is clear and present. It's not just a normal memory of something that looking backwards, it is happening to you right now. That's how it feels. This is a really clever film because it's taking the template of cults and, you know, a conspiracy of like weird people doing weird things in the desert, but actually it's subliminally telling you how the return of the repressed keeps you locked into this mental state that is cultish. Like Mm -hmm. you are a slave to that past. Yeah, that's really that's a really interesting analysis. I love that, and that's definitely what it is. Yeah, um, because they they do find a way out. In they the do, end. and it's like, <laughs> and it's it's incredibly small and simple. 
yeah. which is like so it's kind of like the opposite of magical of this magic this like you know magical <laughs> um force that they just make this like that you know one of them says i want to stay and the other you know and the other one says okay and yeah. you know it's really just that switch in their relationship this the fact that you know and it's you know one of them is able to say that i don't like the life that we're living yeah. and the other one is able to accept that and that's all they need to do to kind of break out of this rut yeah. that they've been stuck in for the last 10 20 years <laughs> is to just change their is to just accept each other a little bit um really. yeah to kind of just acknowledge the trauma in the other person yeah where the, you know, as you just to go back to what you said before the trauma is enough the, you don't need the trauma need is to, enough yeah yeah like it's and there's nothing else like it's not there you know it's not, it's not about the time loop it's not about the death cult it's not about the monster in the sky or under the <laughs> you know under the river or all of the things it's just about you know you don't let me make any decisions exactly um, that's it I, you know I think they're really I think they're really important and powerful to people um yeah but I think even like terms like um post-traumatic stress disorder which I think can like inflict a huge amount of power on the person that's been um diagnosed can mm. actually like keep power from people that haven't been diagnosed yeah you know, that kind of, I think it's a similar magical thing and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a damaging magical thing but I think it's lack can can really um can really affect people yeah in a way like being able to say like I have PTSD as opposed to actually just speaking what it is that that actually happened it can be like yeah. a shorthand for that you know this is my experience and it happened and it's not happening anymore like you know in a way which I yeah. think is really is uh is something to think about too I think like yeah it can it can because in a way like the the trauma f- can sound too little or can sound too far away and mm. it's a little thing you know he, he says like you know I you don't you don't let me make any you don't let me drive the car like yeah. and it's like it's like but it's emblematic of this huge thing which is that you know you took me away from this place it wasn't my decision yeah. and uh we don't have any friends or money yeah. which is actually huge and epic thing um, yeah but yeah I think um yeah we are we are like frightened that to say you know like I, I got bullied this time um and it was yeah. like or you know someone was in a relationship and someone was horrible to me or like yeah. you know oh even like quite big things if they happen a long time ago you have like the fear that people won't take them seriously yeah um so yeah I think that is I think it's really important to I think it is a really important message that your trauma is like enough is enough to like get you know it's enough to be the reason for the situation that you're in absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. you know it's um and and kind of going back to this community and witnessing people uh, looking like very young and fresh mm-hmm. and, you know, young and fresh because they haven't aged. They're, they're, they're in a time loop, you know, yeah. they're, they're frozen in time. You know, it's not, it's not because they're healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's because they haven't matured. They haven't individuated. They haven't separated from this kind of like formulaic experience of being, constantly in the cycle of their trauma Mm. um you know in a way they look so content because they've just made peace with um the fact that they're constantly returning again and again 
and making the same mistake. And they've adapted their entire lifestyle around that mistake. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, uh, you know, like a couple of those people in Time Warps are um, addicts. Yeah. And uh, there is that, you get that sense of, um, I mean, it doesn't last forever, but um, like when when people have addictions, like alcoholism or, or drug addictions, they do tend yeah. to be um, youthful in like social ways. Um, you know that they're still going to parties like every night yeah. when they're in their forties and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it's it's like a similar thing, isn't it? Like I always think, like you're like, oh god, that person has so much energy. Like they're all they're still partying, they're still young. Like it's like, oh, no, actually, they're just addicted to cocaine. <laughs> like, yeah. don't be jealous. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I remember you did such an interesting talk at the. Um, at the Freud Museum about the eternal return and that was like to a set and it was um about addiction that that conference wasn't mm. it? yeah yeah so it's really interesting yeah exactly like it touches on that Nietzschean thing of uh the the eternal return um you know Nietzsche said what if a demon presents itself uh, or an angel or something and says pretty much your entire life will be repeated exactly as it has up to this point um, whatever you do will guaranteed be, be happening again. So what is it that you're going to do to ensure that you live a, a life worth living? Mm. Because you know you're going to have to repeat it. And it just becomes a question of consciously living a meaningful life because you're, you're doing it as a favor to yourself because you know you're going to have to go through this again, mm. you know? But this this kind of idea is very much at odds with Freud's idea of the return of the repressed because what Freud is really saying there is that we suffer and suffer um, and we, we are condemned to repeat the past because something in the past has been left unresolved and the very act of repetition, compulsion, is like a signpost. It's a cry for help. It's telling us, hey, you know, this thing back there, you still haven't looked at it. That's why you keep repeating it. You're doing it as a favor to yourself. Mm-hmm. Even, however, it's kind of self-harming in a way, but it's also, it is really a signpost. It's like a, it's an alarm system in the mind and the psyche telling us to look back, look back again, but this time like meaningfully. Mm. So, you know, otherwise we're just going to be trapped in this cycle of like, obliviously repeating the past and before you know it you're just an obedient little cult member in your own mind with like Stockholm syndrome unable to truly like get out (laughs) oh man so it's such it's actually such a good film when you when you look at it that way Um, it is a really clever film and it does take a you're like you're right it does take a couple of watches before before you, um, you understand what it is but I think your reading of it is just spot on and perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. When, whenever I see, like it's come to the point where if I start to see the trope in a film of people repeating mm-hmm. the repetition compulsion, it's just, for me, it's so un, un, inescapably Freudian, you know? Yeah. Um, Freud loved that stuff. Like he was really, he really paid paid attention when his patients kept coming back week after week with the same problem. And he was like, 
you're getting something from this, you know, like, yeah. And actually the, you know, the conspiracy theorist works in the same way because they depend on not being believed. Exactly. Um, And that's like the element that they're enjoying. If you took that away from them, it wouldn't be the same experience. Yeah. Um, So the reverse psychology is just to like say, oh yeah, I believe you. Oh my God. Yeah. You've convinced me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Bill Gates created COVID. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) They enjoy that kind of um, being the outsider in the discourse Mm. because that way they can feel like they're in possession of something special that the rest of us are lacking. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a a reversal of possession and lack. Oh, so interesting fascinating yeah Um, oh my gosh I I couldn't have like I I, I never feel I'm able to articulate anything like this outside of our conversations do you know what I did the other day I had to like sometimes when I'm writing essays I have to listen to our podcasts to find out what I think so yeah I have the exact same experience I'm like what do I think what's my theory there or like what does Mary say about that like and I just can't yeah it's a space where like theories come out but I can't remember them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's a it's a very it's a very valuable space. For me too. It's very yeah, I feel like I work through a lot of ideas that then I then sometimes I channel in other areas like in my lectures. Mm-hmm. But it's it this is so valuable for me. Like I'm so I'm I'm so grateful. Me too. I think that was a that was a wonderful discussion. So what's our theme next time? So next time we actually we're going to pick up kind of in a way um pretty much where we kind of left off this time we're going to be looking at identification we're kind of zeroing in a little bit more at this process of identification inside cults Mm -hmm. or cult mentalities so we're going to be looking at fight club and midsummer oh my god that's gonna be my favorite week yeah me too it's gonna be a good week (laughs) (laughs) so exciting so thank you to all of you who listened to to episode two do the usual thing follow us on our socials Thank you to those of you who recently donated. Um, We're so, so grateful. Um, And keep your support coming and do share your experience of like um, these movies with us as well. And if you have any film recommendations, get in touch with us. Yeah, we love hearing from you. Um, Okay, well, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.